Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. I really need prayer this morning because this is legitimately going to be a Bible study. What I mean by that is uh, I even had told David in advance we may stop worship a little short because I'm really praying that I can get what I want to get across today, but I'm going to have to read almost all of Romans 6 and Romans 7 to do so. So we're here for a bit. So I'm really praying, seriously, don't grow weary already, please, (laughs) at the thought of it. I want to speak to, again, the true purpose of the law that most of us still, we really don't comprehend what it was all about and then how it reflects about and what the Bible really means by our flesh, and then why it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that's made us free from this law of sin and death. But I mean, there's just some stuff here that's so potent that if you see it, it's one of the things that will really truly bring you to that place of rest that God's been dealing with me about so much. Jesus came that you might have peace. Jesus came to give you rest. But there's a consternation in our flesh and there's a consternation in all of our bodies, I don't care how holy you think you are, that we need to discern. We need to discern the difference between you and your flesh and sin and the law and grace, all of those things. Remember, the book of Romans is possibly dependent on, boy, just about every theologian. It's, it's maybe the most, quote-unquote, spirit. It's corny, all of the book spirit. But Romans is the most intense study from Paul about what Jesus Christ really did than any other book in the, in the Bible. This book, from the Romans 1 to Romans 15, this book really displays in great detail what the whole journey of Jesus was about. And it's crucial. It is absolutely crucial for you really walking in the freedom that has been paid for. Listen, tons, we've been set free, but 99% of people don't know they're free. Remember the old illustration about the Civil War in America when all the slaves were set free after the Civil War? Most of them remained, quote-unquote, with the mentality of slaves, even though they were free. They'd been slaves for so long, they didn't understand freedom. They couldn't be free because that's the only life they'd ever known. Bondage, that's the only life they'd ever known. So though they were set free in the natural, they couldn't get freedom here because it was up here. It's like it says in the book of Psalms, their, their, their soul had entered into the iron. Their soul had entered into the iron. And the body of Christ still, as I say over and over again, is so biblically illiterate in so many areas. So I'm just saying it's worth your time. I mean, part of my calling course is to study this book, but it's part of all of our calling. Anyhow, I'm going to get to it. So let me, the first verse I'm going to read, though, is because, like I said, just honestly, Father, again, I just pray. You've heard my prayers yesterday, the day before today. Please help me to say what's necessary to say. Help me know what to skim over. Help me know what to concentrate on so that the point of what I want to share that you show me, I'm able to share. But I do truly pray, Father, that today we would have ears 
that are open, that we will not allow our ears to be distracted by thoughts of what we're going to do after the service or anything else. I just thank you, Father, because I know that what's in here is actually life-changing if we will hear it. So I do pray afresh the prayer of Ephesians, Father. I ask in Jesus' name that you grant each and every one of us your spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. In Jesus' name, open up the eyes of our understanding and help us to see what is the hope of our calling. In Jesus' name, I'm going to pray the rest. Amen. Roman, I'm going to read Romans 5.20, like I said. Well, let me read Romans 5.19. I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible. I've got my new King James, too, in case I want to go there. But I'm starting in the middle of this. But like I said, it's 6 and 7 about the law and sin and what have you and flesh. If you'll please do your best to stay with me because I'm going to come to some stuff that's really going to be helpful if you'll hear it. Um, Talking about Jesus, Paul says in verse 19 of Romans 5, <clears throat> for just as by one man's disobedience, you know, Adam, failing to hear his heedlessness, his carelessness, <clears throat> excuse me, the many were constituted sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be constituted righteous. They will be made acceptable to God. They will be brought into right standing with him. Now, do you believe that? Right there. I mean, right now, right there. Do you actually believe that? We what Jesus did, his obedience, was intended to bring us into right standing with God. His obedience, not yours. His obedience. Our job is to believe in what his obedience produced. But verse 20, but then law came in. Everybody say the law came in. Why did the law come in? But then law came in only to expand and increase the trespass. The law came to increase sin, the awareness of sin. The law came to increase the trespass, made it more apparent and exciting opposition. But, hallelujah, where sin increased and abounded, grace, God's unmerited favor, has surpassed it, has increased the more, and superabounded. So that just as sin has reigned in death, so grace, his unearned and undeserved favor, might reign through this right standing that we have with God because of his obedience. Now, Romans 6, 1, and of course, because the issue is when you teach on the grace of God, so many churches, you know, they say that you're giving people the liberty to sin. Because if you, and actually, again, like you've heard me say before, when, I, when you teach on grace, if it doesn't cause that opportunity to think that way, you're not preaching it correctly. Did you hear what I just said? If you preach what God has done in Christ correctly, accurately, some people, it's unavoidable, will think you're saying that you can sin in no problem. That's part of it. Major theologians from different sides of the aisles all say the same thing. They talk about how dangerous it is, about how essential it is, and you must not draw back from preaching the truth of what God did in Christ. So, but again, so Paul, he knows people are going to say this. So Romans 6, 1 says, what shall we say to all this? Show, are we to remain in sin? So we go ahead and just say, okay, that's cool. Are we to remain in sin? That God's grace and favor and mercy may multiply and overflow? Certainly not. Because how can we who have died to sin live in it any longer? 
And he says, are you ignorant of the fact, now forgive me, like I said, I've got to read a lot of scripture, but please, if you just try to stay with me, because it's, it's going to be important, some of the points I've got to get to. So put on your listening ears, like we used to tell the children in Sunday school, okay? Are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized, immersed into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by the baptism into death. Why? So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we too might habitually live and behave in newness of life. Say newness in life. This Jesus came that we might learn how to walk in newness, something new, that we might learn how to walk in this newness of life that's been presented to us, offered to us, given to us to walk in and to understand and to enjoy. It's important because it's going to, he uses this phrase a few times, King James as well, New King James as well. This is why we went into baptism with him. Verse 5, for if we have become one with him by sharing a death like his, we shall also be one with him in sharing his resurrection by, again, a new life. A new life. I'm no longer a heroin addict. A new life. A new life lived for God. Now, we know that our old, unrenewed self our old, unrenewed self, your old nature, was nailed to the cross with him. Why? In order that our body, which is the instrument of sin. Stop. David plays a piano, keyboard. It's an instrument. The Bible calls your body the instrument of sin. Sin wants to play your body like a piano. And before you know Christ, you don't understand that, but sin uses your body as an instrument to bring all kinds of sound that are not from heaven, <laughs> to bring all manner of information that's not from heaven. We know that our old unrenewed self, verse 6 again, was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective, and inactive for evil. And again, actually, did Jesus go to the cross? Did he do this? Did he do this? Did he do this? Then see, you need to begin to identify again with this. I have been made ineffective and inactive for evil. Me. Now again, we're going to learn the basics that you are your spirit. You have a soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions. You live in a hunk of meat called a body. But the real you is your spirit, which is going to live throughout all eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. God knew this. And God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to redeem us from this issue. But again, what's the purpose of the law? Now watch. Verse 7, for when a man dies, he is, of course, he's freed, he's loosed, he's delivered from the power of sin among men. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him because we know that Christ, the anointed one, being once raised from the dead, he's never going to die again because he's done it once. Death no longer has any power over him. Do you agree with that? Does death have any power over Jesus? No. 
For by the death he died, he died to sin. He ended his relation to it once and for all. And the life that he lives now, he's living to God in what? Unbroken fellowship. Jesus lives in unbroken fellowship with him. Well, we can all say amen to that. But now watch what he goes on to say. Even so, this is how we're supposed to think of ourselves. Consider yourself also dead to sin. Everybody say, I'm dead to sin. I didn't say what you felt like. I'm dead to sin. It's good to look in the mirror and shout that. If you did it every day, you'd be surprised, deeply surprised at how quick things would change in some of your lives. Even so, consider yourselves also dead to sin and your relationship to it's broken. My relationship to sin has been broken because of my faith in Christ, because of my belief in Christ. But consider myself, I'm alive to God. I'm living now in unbroken fellowship with him. Hallelujah. According to scripture, because I believed on Christ, I live in unbroken fellowship. Nothing will separate you and I from the love of God. Nothing. Even with all the mistakes that you may still make, nothing will separate you. And heaven sees you in a place where you have unbroken fellowship. You can't. Uh, let's see, I've got to be so careful because I know the questions would rise up, but I can't do a whole Bible school. I can't do you know, a six-week course right now. You have unbroken fellowship with Christ. It doesn't mean you partake of it. It doesn't mean that you don't sometimes stray from what you should be doing. But again, this is why we're to feed and live in the Spirit of God. Live and feed on the Spirit by live and feed on His Word. But we're alive to God, living in unbroken fellowship with Him in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, He simply says this. Then, guys, here's the message for you. Don't let sin Therefore, rule as a king. In other words, he's basically saying, do you understand how simple this stuff is? But hell's made it difficult because he gets you into your reasoning. He gets you to listen to your flesh. You just say no. I said you say no. Don't let sin reign. Sin to sin, shut up. That's sin. That doesn't align with the kingdom. So no, I ain't going there. Not thinking that, not saying that, not doing that. Hallelujah. It's just that simple. Don't let sin therefore rule as king in your mortal, your short-lived, your perishable bodies while we're here. To make it yield to its cravings. Sin craves an expression through your body, which is the instrument. You hear me? David, would you lock the drawers? I'm just, I just, just not going to make sure nobody goes out. Verse 13, he says, do not continue some. There's some, see, some people that they're, they're born from above, but they continue living like they used to. But again, it's because they don't really have a revelation of what's happened, and they don't know how, as it were, to exercise their dominion, which God has given them through the blood of Jesus Christ that we just celebrated. Don't continue offering or yielding your bodily members and faculties to sin as an instrument and a tool of wickedness. Just stop. Why would you want to offer yourself as a tool to wickedness? But see, people do that. 
Christians everywhere do that. Paul's talking to the church here in Rome. Do not continue offering. Just stop it. If you've been involved in it, stop it now. Jesus said, stop it, lest the worst thing come upon you. You're only doing yourself damage for your future when can you continue in unbelief by making choice. Unbelief is a choice to go against the known, will of God, the known will of God. I guarantee you by the word of God, you are causing distance between you and the presence of God, and you're causing more and more opportunity for calamity in your future. That's silly. Repent now. Change your mind. Repent. Stop. Say no. Don't continue offering yourself to stuff that you know you should not offer. If the word of God says it's incorrect, then why would, why would you want to go against this love that's trying to get you to a place where you will finally receive the freedom and the fullness of life that he's been trying to get to you all this time? Why are we, why are we our own worst enemy? You know what I mean? Do not continue offering or yielding your bodily members and faculty to sin as instruments and tools of wickedness, but offer and yield yourself to God as though you have been raised from the dead to perpetual life and offer your bodily members and faculties to God. Present them as implements of righteousness. For why? Verse 14. Guys, sin shall not any longer have dominion over you. Now that's the truth. It may not be a fact yet for you, but it's the truth from heaven. What Jesus Christ has done has broken the power of sin to have dominion. I said what Jesus Christ has done has broken the power of sin to dominate in your life. You just have to speak to it, speak to your body, which is the instrument of sin, speak to your soul, say no, speak to this stuff and say no, I'm not, I'm not going that way. I am a child of God. Jesus Christ paid this price a horrific death to redeem me from this stuff. Horrible, unbelievable to the point in Isaiah, remember it says that his body ceased to look like human form. Can you imagine every sickness and disease known and unknown has came upon his body, and it says in a three-hour period, to the point that he no longer resembled a human being. That's what the scripture says. Can you comprehend that statement? This is what that centurion said. My God, surely this was the Son of God. What happened to him happened to no other person they'd ever crucified. And believe me, they'd crucified many, many people. But this was something that blew their minds, scared them to death, literally. For sin shall not any longer exert dominion over you. Why? Because you're no longer under law. Remember, law. We're going to talk about the law. The reason sin has no longer dominion over you is because you're no longer under law. Now, here's my first statement. I've mentioned and spoken to this a few times already over the last several months. The moment you begin to live by a law, self-imposed law, or anything that becomes law, you allow a portion of hell's dominion. Because law stirs up sin. Did you hear me? We're called to teach the love of God and the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, has preaching sin ever stopped anybody from sinning? Think on that. Do we need to talk about what God considers sin? Absolutely. 
we need to be faithful to give people instruction. So don't mishear me. But see, like I said, the truth of grace causes many people to think you're saying you can do anything you want. No. No. Shall we continue in sin that God's grace might abound? God forbid. No. But preaching and telling people over and again, you must quit this, quit that, quit this, quit that, quit this, quit that, only makes them more sin conscious. They're not made more righteousness conscious. They're not made more aware of their right standing with God. And they think by preaching sin that that's going to cause people to stop. It never, it actually stirs it up. That's what we're going to read here. But people don't really catch that like they need to. And this is what I'm trying to do today, if I can. For sin shall not any longer exert dominion over us, since now you are not under law as a slave, but you're under grace as a subject of God's favor and mercy. What then are we to conclude? Shall we sin because we live not under law, but under God's favor and mercy? Certainly not. You see, he keeps saying this because he knows that's how some people are going to think this. Do you not know that if you continually surrender yourselves to anyone to do his will, you are the slaves of him whom you obey? Whether that be to sin, which leads to death. What does sin lead to? What's death mean? Death in the Bible, remember, always means separation from the presence of God. Sin creates distance between you and heaven. Why would anybody want that? I, I don't, you know. Do you not know that if you continually surrender yourselves to anyone to do his will, you are the slaves of him to whom you obey, whether that be to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, right doing, right doing, right doing, and right standing with God. But thank God, though you once were slaves of sin, you have become obedient with all your heart to the standard of teaching in which you were instructed and to which you were committed. And having been, past tense, past tense, past tense. And having been set free from sin. Look in the mirror every day, 30 times a day if need be. And tell yourself, remind yourself, I've been set free from sin. Listen to me. Sin is no longer the problem. Ooh, that some preachers will not like that. No, lack of knowledge is the problem. Lack of revelation of what Jesus Christ has done is the problem. Sin will lead you to death. So that's just stupid. I mean, honestly, here, drink this poison. I know you want tea, but here, I've got some sulfuric acid here. Knock this back. Go ahead, drink this sulfuric acid. Just go ahead, take it. Here, you want some acid? Would you like a drink of acid? Would you take a drink of acid if I offered it to you? Why wouldn't you? Tell me, tell me out loud. Why wouldn't you take a drink of acid? You would die. It would hurt you. It probably wouldn't. It, it would hurt more than hot coffee. <laughs> but we drink poison every day. If we think that we're getting away with something. There's nothing hidden before God. You see, God so loves you, he did everything he could do. You do understand he's not sending Jesus again. People are ignorant of what God has done. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. You all know, you all know the verses. Or Isaiah 5.13, my people go into captivity without even realizing it because they ignore my teachings and my truth when I send it to them. Anyhow, now watch. And having been set free from sin... 
You have become the servants of right standing, the righteousness of conformity to the divine will and thought, purpose, and action. Now I'm speaking in familiar human terms, and please give me the benefit of the doubt. I know I'm skipping over a lot of stuff, but like I said, I'm trying to get to a couple of points. I'm speaking in familiar human terms because of your natural limitations. For guys, just as you yielded your bodily members, you used to, and faculties and servants to impurity, and ever-increasing lawlessness, so now simply do the same thing. You proved you could yield because of what you yielded to before. <laughs> you proved that you could yield because you yielded to sin. It says now just take that same will and yield your bodily members and faculties once for all as a servant to righteousness, right standing, right being and doing, which leads to sanctification. It leads to you being set apart and truly being different, holy. Holiness means different. It means unique. It means unnormal. Actually, that's one of, one of the things it says. It literally means that you're not normal. Holiness means you're not normality as the world sees it. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free. You were free in regard to right standing. But then what benefit or return did you get from the things of which you are now ashamed? None for the end of those things is death. When I look back at my life as a heroin addict, I mean, I have, if I'm not careful, I will just, you know, absorb myself in the guilt. When I think of some of the violent crime I was involved with and some of the things that happened at my hands, I, you know, I, I, all I know is I just, oh, I, I'm a new creation. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, that you're merciful. You're merciful. You're merciful then you will save anybody from anything and forgive anything if we will come to you. He really will. I mean, he really, 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 really will. Shame. But now, verse 22, since you have been, again, all the past tenses, see, you have, but now since you have been set free from sin and have become the slaves of God, you have your present reward in this holiness, and its end is eternal life for the wages that sin pays is death. Do you understand that? When you knowingly go against the will of God, that is called sin, missing the mark. And it flat says that what you will learn, you will earn some death. I don't know if that makes some people proud or not, but I hope it doesn't. You, you, just, you just let a little death into your life. You let a little death into your life. Why do you want to do that? That's crazy. But the free, the free gift of God is eternal life through and in union with Jesus Christ our Lord. Like I said, just stay with me. I know it's a lot, but like I said, then I'll actually get to my notes here. I have a few things to remind me. This is one of my two and a half hour sermons, see, because Deji made a joke about me a while back. So I'm, this morning, like I said, I've actually had David close the front door. So even if you're there, you're going to hear me out there, okay? Verse 7, I'm in chapter 7, verse 1. Stick with me. Come on. I said, stick with me. Don't worry. I'm a nice guy, really. I really am. I promise not to beat anybody over the head. Well, there's one in here I'm considering, but other than that. Do you not know, brethren, verse, chapter 7, verse 1, do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to men who are acquainted with the law, legal claims have power over a person only as long, only as, long as he is alive. Listen, the law only has power over you while you're alive. 
And he gives us an illustration about a husband and a wife. For instance, a married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's loosed and discharged from the law concerning her husband. Accordingly, she will be held an adulteress if she unites herself to another man while her husband lives. But if her husband dies, now he's talking about is the law dead or not. But if her husband dies, the marriage law no longer is binding. She is free from that law. And if she unites herself to another man, she is not an adulteress. Verse 4, likewise, my brethren, you have undergone death as to the law, as to the law. You died to the law. Don't make a new one. This is my major issue. I'm trying to, I'm hoping to communicate at least part of the major issues. I'm, <laughs> don't make another law. Please don't make another law. Please don't make another law out of what you think is just good stuff to do. And like I said, help me, Holy Ghost. Likewise, my brethren, you have undergone death as to the law through the crucified body of Christ so that now you may belong to another. See, you don't belong to the devil anymore. Hallelujah. You did. You didn't even know it, though. Remember what said in Ephesians, Paul said that you were constantly under the influence of the demon spirit, which now works in the sons of disobedience. So that now you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may be fruit, bear fruit for God. Verse 5, when we were living in the flesh, mere physical lives, the sinful passions, listen, that were awakened and aroused up by while the law makes sin, were constantly operating in our natural powers, in our bodily organs, in the sensitive appetites, and the wills of the flesh, and we bore fruit to death. And I want you to really think on this. Sinful passions were awakened and aroused by the law. This is really crucial. I'm got, you've got to, because what I'm trying to get to is how free you are in Christ. But I'm also trying to tell you that we're like my old dad, brother, uh, brother Hagen used to say, and I'm sorry, Dr. Cole used to say, we're lawmakers by nature and we're lawbreakers by nature. You really got to hear that. You are a lawmaker by nature. Because we've been trained our entire physical life before Christ to comprehend laws, rules, and regulations. But something funny happens when all of a sudden you have a law. You get curious about why it's a law. When it says don't do this, something inside of you, because you're the, the dead part of your, your spirit, something inside of you, and you're going to find out in a moment it's your flesh, Something inside of you says, hmm, I wonder what that's all about. Why is that so wrong? I think I'll taste it. <laughs> that's what they do. That's what babies do. You know how it is. Everybody's had a child. Baby, if it's on the ground, it's in its mouth. That's what children do. Put it in the mouth. I don't care what it is. When we were living in the flesh, got to read it again. I know it's a long, merely physical lives, the sinful passions that were awakened and aroused up by what the law makes sin. They were aroused by what the law did. Oh man, I pray to God that you're trying to, that you're hearing me. It says, these things were then constantly, because of law, because of law, because everybody keeps telling you do this, do this, don't 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 do this. 
it says that constantly caused in our natural powers and our bodily organs to raise up the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh so that we bore fruit to death. Verse 6, he said, he just keeps hammering this. I mean, how important must this be for Paul to, that's what I'm trying to see. Don't just read text. Please hear the importance behind what this apostle, the chief apostle under Christ, is actually trying to say, guys, he wants you free. And he, he but he's got, and it, I mean, you can't, you know, this is why Romans is so important, why you need to read it till your eyeglasses fall off and then get 37 more pairs of eyeglasses or whatever it takes. But now we are discharged from the law. This is the message. We have done away with the law. But now we are discharged from the law and we have terminated all intercourse with it, having died to what once restrained and held us captive. So now, you know what? We don't serve under obedience to the old code of written regulations, but this is what we are all supposed to serve, and this is why it comes to the Spirit of God and what it really means to be led by the Spirit. But now, we serve not under obedience to the old code of written regulations, but now we serve under obedience to the promptings of the Spirit in newness of life. And again, see, see how simple it is, but see, don't, don't just pass over it because of how simple it appears in the text. You used to say yes to the passion of the flesh. He simply said, guys, see, you don't know the power of what it means to say no. You still think, you know, oh, God, help me. Verse 7, let me keep going. What then do we conclude? Is the law identical with sin? Certainly not. Nevertheless, if it had not been for the law, the per what is the purpose of the law? Nevertheless, if it had not been for the law, I should not have recognized sin. Listen, I'll just say it in one sentence, and like I said, and we'll work with it a little bit more maybe this time or another time. The purpose of the law, listen, the purpose of the law was to cause mankind to recognize the sin and the depths of it. But the reason for that was he wanted them to know that they had need of a savior. The whole purpose of the law was to make sin appear more sinful, or sin appear what it really was, to really show you the, the depths, the heights, and the horrible aspects of what sin produced. Because mankind had to discover they need a savior. They need a savior. That's literally the reason God instituted the law, to show them the depth of sin, but it was to draw their attention to the fact, man, nobody can live up to this. Nobody can live up to this. And they understood innately that they needed a redeemer. They needed something beyond the natural. The natural book of rules and regulations is not freeing us from sin. It's not freeing us from all these mistakes. Nevertheless, if I had not been for the law, verse again, seven again, stay with me. I know, I know. I really do know, and I feel bad. But like I said, I'm just trying to obey what he told me to do. 
If it had not been for the law, I should not have recognized sin or have known its meaning. For instance, I would not have known about covetousness. I would have had no consciousness of sin or sense of guilt if the law had not repeatedly said, you shall not covet and have an evil desire. But sin, verse 8, but sin, listen again, sin finding opportunity in the commandment. Sin finds opportunity the moment you start to live by a law. Now, see, please don't hear me. Don't mishear me. I didn't say we don't need to instruct people about the right way to live, right living, and all of these things, and to understand that this is not the will of God here, and this is not the will of God there. But see, you need to understand the difference. See, how many of you know a man can be married to a woman? Listen to this. Here's law. A man can be married to a woman but have no love for it at all, right? And, but he can, as it were, do his best, especially in the Judeo. He would fulfill his duties. He would fulfill his duties as a husband, but have no love. He's just doing the law. He's doing what he's supposed to do. But see, when you're led by the Spirit, instead of uh, like that, what God has done, the newness of life says, I wonder what I can do today to bring something sweet to my wife. Now, see, that sounds so simple, but some of you didn't even hear me. Instead of going, okay, I'm just here, I'm stuck, I don't like this, but I'm going to do this because it's what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to do it because of what I'm supposed to do. But see, in other words, it's the difference between have to and get to. And I'm telling you, that's a crucial aspect of all the Christian journey. As long as you have to come to church, you'll never really fully receive from it. As long as you have to tithe, you'll never see the real fruit of it. The newness of life that came with Jesus Christ brings a want to. And that's the difference between pure life and just existing from one day to another and calling yourself a Christian. No. The truth of the matter is when the revelation of the love of God has actually been shed in your heart, the love of God has been shed in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Trust me, you'll want to serve him. I don't have to serve him. I want to. This guy died for Rod Anderson. This guy died for a filthy, dirty, rotten, drug addict punk. You know, just died for me. I mean, I... I am grateful. I, I don't intentionally look to do something that would separate me from him. Sometimes I do something and it separates me from him and I sense it. But the moment I do, I've learned again his love. He'll not turn me down. I, I've learned that when I make, you've heard this before, but here it again. When I make a mistake, I don't run from him. I run to him. I run to him, but he does expect me to mature. He does expect me to grow up a little bit and say, okay, like it says, I'm going to quit submitting myself to this other stuff. I want, because I love you. This is why the love of God is still the most vital message there is. God fills every crevice of your life. But sin, finding opportunity in the commandment to express itself, got a hold on me. Where there's a law, you yield to 
the opportunity for sin to get a hold of you. And it aroused and it stimulated all kinds of forbidden desires, lust, covetousness. But without the law, sin is dead. And the sense of it is an active and lifeless thing. Now, once I was alive, but I was quite apart from and unconscious of the law. But really, really hear this. I know you can probably quote it, but hear it. But when commandments came, sin lived again, and I died. I was sentenced by the law to death, and the very legal ordinance, which was designed and intended to bring life, actually proved to mean to me death. For sin, seizing the opportunity and getting a hold on me by taking its incentive from the commandment. Now, the commandment's good. He's going to say all through this, is the commandment not good? No, the commandment's holy. But you need to see what the commandments are for. But anyhow, he goes on to say, for sin, seizing the opportunity and getting a hold on me by taking its incentive from the commandment, beguiled, entrapped, cheated me, and he actually used a good thing as a weapon and killed me. The law, therefore, is holy, and each commandment is holy and just as good. Did that which is good then prove fatal, bringing death to me? No, no, no. It was sin working death in me by using a good thing as a weapon in order that through the commandment, sin might be shown up clearly to be sin. God wanted sin to clearly be seen as sin. That's why there was law. That the extreme malignity and immeasurable sinfulness of sin might plainly appear. Now, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm a creature of the flesh. I'm carnal. I'm unspiritual, as it were, of the flesh, having been sold into slavery under the control of sin. For I do not understand my own actions, and I think I'm going to slow down. But anyway, I do not understand my own actions. I'm baffled. I'm bewildered. I do not practice or I don't accomplish what I wish, but I do the very thing that I loathe, which my moral instinct condemns. Now, there's something I'm about to say here in a few minutes that's going to upset some of you, for real, because you're not going to be able to grasp a hold of it yet, but whether you understand it or not, I want you to think on these things. Now watch. Verse 16, now if I do habitually, if I do habitually what is contrary to my desire, that means that I acknowledge and agree that the law is good. And I take sides with this. In other words, I'm saying, man, I know we shouldn't do that. But listen to what Paul says. I don't know if you can receive this or not. However, However, everybody say however. Listen, listen, listen to what this dude has the audacity to say. The, the revelation of you as a spirit, you as having a soul, but having a soul doesn't mean you are a soul. And living in a body, but you're not a body. You're not your soul. You're your spirit. However, verse 17 it is no longer I who do the deed. What deed? The stuff that he doesn't want to do. Listen, the stuff that he doesn't want to do. The stuff that he doesn't want to do. But he said, it's, you know what I've discovered, and this is what we need to know. It's no longer I that am doing that, but the sin principle, which is at home in me and has possession of me, for I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot perform it. I have the intention and the urge to do what is right, but no power to carry it out. For I fail to practice the good deeds I desire to do, but the evil deeds that I do not desire to do are what I'm ever doing. Listen, look, look, verse 20. Now, if I do, 
what I don't want to do. This is the revelation I did. I realized it's not me. I'm not the one doing this. Whoa. Whoa. Some people are going, what? Wait a second. What? But I'm just reading the Bible. See, you don't know the difference between you and your soul and your flesh. I said, you don't know the difference. I'm just, gonna re- I'm just reading what the Bible said. If you're going to get angry or get upset, get upset with him because it's his spirit that wrote this stuff, okay? If I do what I do not desire to do, it's no longer I doing it. It is not me that's acting, but it's the sin principle which dwells within me that's fixed and operating in my soul. So I find it to be a law, a rule of action in my being that when I want to do what is right and good, evil is present. And I'm subject to its insistent demands if I give in to them. For I endorse and I delight in the law of God in my inmost self with my new nature. You have a new nature, right? And you rejoice in God with that. But he said, I've understood something. I discern in my bodily members. There's something in me. There's something in me. There's something in you. I'm telling you, I don't care how holy you are. There's something in you. It's there. It's there. Now, actually, I'm gonna, I heard this illustration of a Joseph Prince. It really, it really I, I, I thought it was beautiful. Listen, let's say I have a glass, a clear glass of water up here. Everybody see the glass? There's a glass of water up here, and I put in a tablespoon of dirt. What will happen to the dirt? The dirt will go, the sediment will go all the way to the bottom, right? Right? It'll settle all the way to the bottom. And when you just look at the glass, it still looks like it's clear. Right? It looks clear. But there's dirt in there. But it's clear. Looks clear to you. This is what I mean. There's a lot of people that look good. They look awesome. Everything looks like it's together. But then what happens is you take a spoon and you put that spoon in the glass and you stir it up. And guess what it comes? That dirt and stuff comes up and you see what's there. Now listen, the spoon is the law. The spoon stirs up what's already there so that it can be seen. Is it the spoon's fault? No. It's just the spoon's job is to show you what's laying way down deep in you. And you know what? Everybody in here still has flesh. Every person in here could commit murder if they wanted to. Everybody in here could commit adultery or have illicit sex if they wanted to. Everybody here could walk out of church today and go rob a grocery store because that's in you. No, seriously, you got to hear me. That's in you. That's in you. It is. There's nobody here that does not have that in you. But see, what I'm trying to get to is the law stirs it up. And what I'm trying to get at is to see our focus in life. Oh, good God, I've still got a few minutes. I'm trying to get us to a point where in our own lives we begin to really begin to consider what we may have created 
that has become a law to us that we think makes us better. We think makes us more holy, but it's so law-like that it's, it's become legalistic, and we don't understand that it's not doing good. It's actually doing harm. Let me read, actually, I'm ahead of myself, but I'm going to go ahead and go there. Let me read in the Amplified Bible, Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. Actually, if you can put this up, I'd appreciate it, Elizabeth, because I want them to see it. Colossians 2, verses 20 to 23. If then you have died with Christ. Is that up there yet? Okay. If then you have died with Christ to material ways of looking things, have you? Have you? If then you have died with Christ to material ways of looking at things and have escaped from the world's crude and elemental notions and teachings of externalism. See, what you do outside, what you do outside, what you do outside, what do you do, what do you do, what do you do? It's not what you do that proves you're a Christian. It's who you are. I've said it a thousand times. It's not your behavior that gets you to heaven. It's Christ's behavior. And it's your acceptance of the free gift. If then you have died with Christ to material ways of looking at things and have escaped from the world's crude and elemental notions and teachings of external, why do you still live as you, if you still belong to the world? Now, what does he show? Why do you submit to rules and regulations such as do not handle this, do not taste that, don't even touch them? Now, I want you to catch this. And see, I want you to, as a word, try, ask the Holy Spirit to analyze your life and how you live. And the things that you've set up, as it were, they may look like good things. Some of them may indeed be good things because we, see, don't mishear mis me. Or mis we need discipline in areas. We need, you know, devotion. We need these things. But I'm just saying, I, I just, I want this, the thing God kept dealing with me about all week is, I want them to understand that if it's law to them, it's only going to dig up the flesh. It's not going to... Well, let me just finish reading these verses. He said, why do you submit to rules and regulations such as do not handle this, do not taste this, do not even touch them, referring to things all of which perish with being used? To do this is to follow human precepts and doctrines. Such practices... Listen. Such Practices have indeed the outward appearance that is popular, that popularly passes for wisdom because it looks like it's promoting self-imposed rigor of devotion and delight in self-humiliation and severity of discipline of the body. Do you know how many things are in there? It's just like some people think fasting makes them holy. Does it? You're holy because of the blood of Christ. But see, fasting be can become something that actually becomes, if I don't fast, this, I, if I don't fast, I, if I don't fast, if I, if I don't fast, do you hear? please try to catch what I'm getting to. If I don't do this, if I don't do this, if I don't pray 30 minutes this morning, I, I, oh my God, I, 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 I mean, what, I don't care what it is. He'll take the, it says, sin will take that good thing and deceive and cheat you. You'll take a good thing and make it into a law. And you'll get separated from a bit of the presence of God. 
To do this is to follow human precepts and doctrines. Such practices have indeed the outward appearance that popularly passes wisdom in promoting self-imposed rigor of devotion and delight in self-humiliation and severity of discipline of body. But listen, but they are of no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh. A list of do's and don'ts, a list of do's and don'ts do not set you free from fleshly sin. Instead, what do they do? What's it say? Instead, they do not honor God, but they serve only to indulge the flesh. So see, I'm looking at areas of my life that I've been very disciplined in, and I'm asking myself questions like, okay, um, has this become something that, as it were, I'm afraid of messing up? I don't know how. I don't see. I can't. I don't have all the words that I need yet. But what I mean is, I still, at times, I don't know that I'm doing it, but I'm. I find myself in works, and I have to do this if I. I'm not going to be as good for God, or I'm not going to be as loved by God unless I do this. I still haven't come to the depth of revelation that I'm loved regardless of if I do this. Because why? Human nature. My human nature wants rules. Rules aren't bad, but rules can become bad. Rules aren't bad. White lines are in the middle of the street to keep you alive, not to kill you. Right? But see, this is why you've got to really look. But sin, taking that good thing, uses it as a weapon and can cheat and deceive and mislead you. It can take good things. Every one of you here, I'm going to say it again, still has flesh. And that flesh can get out of control. But the law stirs it up so that you can see it, so that you can say, oh, my God, I need to be free from this. Okay? But you're no longer under law. You have been set free, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm free. I lived in a place six by nine with iron bars for quite a while. This is different. I discern in my bodily members and the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh, verse 23, sorry, uh, back to Romans 7. I discern in my bodily members and the sensitive appetites, the sensitive appetite, the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh. Your flesh has a sensitive appetite. Your flesh, even Des back there, as holy as he is, right, Des? His flesh has a will. I want to do this. So do you. Your flesh talks to you, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Give in to this invitation for illegitimate sex. 
give in to this invitation to cheat just a little bit on my tax return. Give in to this desire to just flirt a little bit with that nice secretary. Give in to this temptation to, I'm in the store, there's a big bin of candy, no one will miss that. <laughs> the little foxes that spoil the vine. I discern in my bodily members in the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh a different law, a rule of action that is at war, man. It's, a, it's war against the law of my mind, my reason, and it makes me a prisoner to the law of sin that dwells in my flesh, in the sensitive appetite and will of the flesh. Oh, unhappy and pitiable and wretched man that I am who, who, not what, not what, not what, not a therapy program, not a psychological intervention, who will release and deliver me from the shackles of this body of death. Oh, thank God he will, through Jesus Christ, then known and one our Lord, so then indeed I have myself of the mind and heart serve the law of God, but I have to understand that in my flesh is the law of sin still. Hallelujah. And then, of course, you know, we could go all the way through the eighth chapter. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. There's no judging guilty for wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus. All you have to do is don't listen to the dictator what your flesh wants. But listen to the prompting of the Spirit. Amen. And obey it. And then you'll be, discover what's called newness of life. Hallelujah. Newness of life is better. Trust me, newness of life is better. For the law of the Spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, has freed me from the law of sin and death. For, what God, for God has done what the law could not do. Your list can't do it. You know, honestly, you're going to need truly the spirit of revelation to try to catch this because I know it's right up here right now in the realm right above me. It's right here. But I know I'm not doing as good a job as I wish I could. There's, I need better illustrations. But I just you need to see this right here. It's right here. It's right here. Um, it's right here. All I have to do is all I have to do is say no to this because I'm saying yes to him. That's, that's all I need to do. Because this is true. This is something you need to make a daily confession. The law, the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law could not do because its power was weakened by the flesh. The entire nature meant without the Holy Spirit. But God had a plan. <laughs> Sending his own son in the guise of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin... God condemned sin in the flesh, subdued it, overcame it, deprived it of its power over who? All who accept the sacrifice. So that the righteous and just requirement of the law might be fully met in us who live and move not in the ways of the flesh, but in the ways of the spirit. Hallelujah. I really, I, I'm, I'm going to stop there, but I... I I want you to catch this. Like I said, it's a couple more comments. I didn't even go to anything that I had written down here, but I know this has been um, much heavier than some of the wonderful, intimate stuff that David brings and some of the incredible prophetic stuff that Desi brings and you know, the insight that David Atkins brings and Abby brings and all this stuff, but I is who I is. <laughs> but listen, 
What's first Corinthians? Put up first Corinthians fifteen, verse fifty-six. First Corinthians fifteen. I mean, there's so many other things I could go to here, but I, I just want you to catch this. What's it say? Look at it. Look up. What is sin? What is sin? What's it say? What is sin? The sting of death. Sin exercises the power upon the soul through the abuse of the law. Do you, can you put that up in the King James or some New King James or something? I just wanted to see that second half of the verse. Can you do that for me? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Any sin that you might be hassling with, dealing with, something in your life that you know you just ought not do, you understand something. It has strength on you because something is there that you kind of got legalistic about. The strength of sin is the law. I didn't write that. You have to look at things through Jesus Christ. You have to look to Jesus. Jesus Christ is the center of everything. And the thing is, this is the key, and I really am finishing now, but this is deeply revelatory if, if, if you could catch it. Like I said, it's just that you need to look at the things that you're doing that you don't want to do through love. You have to see that God's love is saying, this is silly, don't do it. And as opposed to, don't do this because you're going to die, or don't do this because you're evil in God's sight. No, 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 it's not like that. It's, well, don't do this. I love you. I love you. You don't need this. You don't need this. You have to look. If you have a list, you have to always look at it in love. You have to make sure that it's not something that you have to do, something you get to do. One of the major stories of this that is in, do you remember when the ark went into captivity to the Philistines? And how, you know, went into one city, and they put the ark in the, in the place, you know, where... Uh, What's his name? Ichabod? Not Ichabod. What was the dude? That God. Dagon. They put him in there with Dagon, you know, and the next day they look and Dagon was falling over and they set him back up. And the next day, Dagon was not only falling over, but both his hands were cut off and both his feet were cut off, you know, because of the presence of God. And then they got, they were smitten. You got, God's got a sense of humor. They were smitten with boils and hemorrhoids. Think about it. Think about what a hemorrhoid is. Think about where it's positioned. <laughs> I, honestly, God says, you're going to, okay, you're going you're gonna, to, <laughs> and says, man, this is horrible, man, they were going nuts, and said, get this thing out of here, man, and get it to another, take it to Gaza, they took it to Gaza, <laughs> same thing, it's because God's presence is in our midst, and he don't like us, get him out of here. So he sent us the next city. <laughs> Same thing. Ah, so finally they said, well, dude, we got to get rid of this guy. We got to get rid of this art now. Okay, that's my humor over. So they, you know, they didn't know about the ark. So they'd probably looked into the ark, but because they weren't held accountable. Another story. They put the ark, and you know the story. They put, take the two calves away from Mama cows, as it were, and put the cow, and they say, if he goes this way, it's just a coincidence, but if he goes this way and heads towards Beth Shemesh, death towards, towards uh, Jerusalem, you know, well, we know it's God. And so these two cows, 
even though their calves were bellowing and what have you, wanting them on it, the cows did something unnatural. They went towards, you know, Israel people, they're God's people. But they went to Beth Shemesh, and there's a statement, there's something that happened there, it's incredible. And I want you to catch this. Remember the ark, within the ark, as it were, you know, Aaron's rod that budded, the slabs of the Ten Commandments, you know, and the pot of manna, but it was the presence of God. That was, as it were, God going before them. God. That was God. His word, his truth, his miracle working power, his provision. It's God. But on top of the ark, the lid was called the mercy seat, right? The mercy seat, the place of propitiation, the mercy seat. Beth Shemesh, they get there, and some of God's people, you know what they did? They took the mercy seat off, and they dared to look into the ark, and they were cut dead. Listen to what I'm trying to get at. They were struck dead. You know why? Because you can't look at the law through anything but God's mercy. You hear that? If you don't see when we ask, when we show you that God desires us to tie, that when God says love one another, you know the Apostle John, you know, he, almost everybody lived to be about 50 years old. Apostle John, because they couldn't kill him when they tried to boil him with oil, he lived for over 100 years. And they called him, you know, the aged apostle. They say the writers, including Josephus, even though he only knew him for a short, short season, Jewish historian, they said in the last two years of John's life, when he came to a place, they would always acknowledge him. But they said he always said only, he never, ever said anything. But when he said something, he said three words. And he said the same three words for two years. Do you know what they were? Love one another. That's the message. Love one another. Think about the depth of that. So the point is, I don't mind if you have some rules and regulations in your life. And I've gone all the way around this, and there's a ton of things I know I could have shared better. I'm sure and probably a billion people can do better than I could at it. But the point is this. I want you to understand that the purpose of the law is to stir up your flesh. So if you're trying to live by something that's just legalism, I can't, you know, I can't do this, I can't, can't do this, don't do this, don't do that, don't touch this, don't do that, don't go to the show. What, if you go to the show, you're a sinner. You know what I mean? Don't go to the I mean, you know, don't drink a glass of wine in America. Don't drink a glass of wine, you're a heathen. You know what I mean? I mean, honestly, just, you know, like I said once before, whatever. How, oh, my God, this is going to kill you. I, in other words, you, ha you have to develop the something where you see it through the love of God. Okay, I'm not going to do this because I have to. It is a God-given privilege for me to discipline my life in this area. I don't have to fast, but I see it. I see fasting as one of God's great instructions that caused me to see better what he wants me to see. I, I tithe not because I have to, not because it's written in somebody's constitution or bylaws, but I see that it's God trying to get blessing to me. I'm going to love one another. Because you know what?
people loved me when I didn't deserve it, and God loved me when I didn't deserve it. So though this people vexes me, though this person drives me crazy, though they just make me want to slap them upside the head, whatever it is, so I, I just, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. No, I don't have to do this. If you, you see, if you've been to the correct attitude, this is what God wants. He wants somebody to be loving to the unlovable. Not because you have to. But again, see, human nature is funny. Uh, another illustration this one guy gave that I really like. Let's say you're in an auditorium. You're the only one. Listen, you're the only one in the auditorium. And there's, say, five different doors that are exits. All of them are about the same. But this one door has a sign on it that says, Secret. Do not enter. Secret. You're all by yourself. Well, you start to walk out, but then you go. Hmm. I wonder why that's secret. Human nature. There's something that well, the moment there's an instruction or a law, there's something that you go, hmm, I wonder why. I wonder why. The curiosity killed a cat. <laughs> I'm not doing this justice, but please, just, if you have a list, have one, but don't remove the mercy seat. Look at God's word through every instruction of God's word as him loving you. The moment you see that I have to be kind, that do you live like you have to do this? See, you're, you're creating something that's impossible to fulfill because you're stirring up your flesh. You're only, like Colossians said, you're only giving in to something that's going to give impulse to the flesh. Do you hear me? I don't know how to stop, but I'm going to stop. Father, I give you thanks in the name of Jesus that we are free we have been freed from the law of sin and death that we might serve in newness of life a brand new way of living following the promptings of your spirit hallelujah all I have to do is think in that direction not in this direction all I have to do is see that this brings me peace when I think about doing it this causes confusion and a bit of consternation. This causes a bit of worry. Then don't do it. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Whatever can be done without God's sense of approval, whatever can be done without God's sense of approval is sin to you. But Father, we're going to be led by your Spirit we're not going to be led by a list of laws and instructions, though there may be beautiful. But what you've asked us to do, we're going to do from a good heart. We're going to do them because we love you. I'm not, I don't have to do any of it. But I get to because I want to because you've loved me this much. So it's a small thing for me to love you enough to obey your instructions. So please help all of our people, Father, see it from the right perspective. 
And I pray that they will dig into this again for themselves. I know it's heavy. I know it was long. I know it was thick with scripture. But, Father, it's so deeply vital. So I just roll the care of it over into your hands. And I thank you that your spirit is the teacher. And your spirit will speak to these people, men and women, what they need to hear. In the holy name of Jesus, they will yield their bodily members as servants to righteousness. They will quit yielding if they've been doing it. They will quit it. They will simply see, why would I be distanced from God by allowing myself to continue in this? I thank you that they have the courage to make those decisions. You do not want them to perish. And it is true, the wages of sin is death. Why on earth would you want to work for something that only produces death? But Father, we thank you again for the newness of life that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. Selah. Selah. Um, I love you all. Thank you for putting up with me. I'm going to shut up because otherwise I'll keep talking. Have a great Sunday. Have a great week. Hallelujah. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. Amen. Give God thanks. Do what I always tell you to do. Turn to somebody and say, I just want you to know I'm the best looking person in this house. That's true. My, my wife's the best looking person in the house. Amen. enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 